Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We're back again for another episode of The Passion Project, a podcast where it doesn't matter if anybody else cares as long as you do. And as a bit of a novelty this week, I'm finally talking to another person who actually lives in the same country as me. And after the past few weeks of people across the pond, it's it's quite it's quite a rarity these days. So I would like to introduce everybody to Lucas. How's it going? Hey, uh, I'm good. How are you? I am pretty good. Even better because you are in the same time zone as me, which is fantastic. Isn't it nice not to be staying up until about 4am to try and get an interview? Or waking up at like 6am because I don't like waking up at the best of times. I can't say I blame you. So yeah. Um, So tell me, what are you here to talk to me about today? I am here as a kind of casual uh, for anything related to sound and music and audio things. I'm. Uh, you are a sound and music and audio thing aficionado. I, I am. Yeah, I, I, I went to university for uh, music technology right. um, at the Queensland Conservatorium. Mm. Uh, and then after, before and after that, I was making my own music and then making weird sounds and then making weird combinations of weird sounds and then fixing up other people's weird sounds. And so that's kind of a thing that I'm big into. This, this feels like a natural progression because in the last episode, I talked to a guy all about sort of weird abstract music that just used a lot of sounds to make kind of weird abstract art music. So this kind of just feels like a natural extension down that line of, of thought. Oh hell yeah, absolutely! Like we we will almost certainly cover the same topics in some form. <laughs> so yeah, so I guess what's what kind of thing is going to fall under this this catch-all of music and sound weird stuff? What are we talking? Well, I kind of want to talk about uh, the origins of audio and music insofar as the the recording and technology aspect of it goes. And I want to go right back to uh, the first instances of recorded music the way that sound is generated and then from that i'm going to try and talk about more uh contemporary things such as stuff that makes up the the sound that you hear today and the stuff that goes into making all of the weird sound effects that you hear and everything yeah even technically what is going into us recording this right now (laughs) I guess. Oh, definitely. Okay, well, let, let's take us into the Wayback Machine. Let's take us back to where did this whole recording of sound begin? Are you familiar with a, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Edison? I know this guy. He killed an elephant. Yeah, he was kind of a dick. <laughs> he was. Um, he, <laughs> he was one of the pioneers of... Uh, music recording. Well, I I don't actually, I can't remember off the top of my head if he actually invented it or if he did that wonderful Edison trick of Of stealing it from someone else. Stealing it and patenting it and then uh, claiming it as his own. There's 50-50 chance both ways. I I can verify though that uh, it was indeed a wax cylinder that kind of works in the same way as vinyl does. Right. Uh, that was that was basically the the first kind of example of a recorded sound that you could so, play back at a later date. So basically, like sort of etch the the sound waves. Oh, yeah. I, I'm gonna just point out now. I am pretty clueless on the actual like te- technical side of how things get recorded. I just know how to do it. So I will probably oh. say words that sound very dumb. <laughs> So, yeah. Actually, that's probably a good point. Before I start here, I should maybe go over 
what sound is and then <laughs> it's, what yeah, it sounds like record it with. Yeah, it does sound like a weird thing it's like we all know what sound is but at the same time do we because <laughs> oh absolutely not no so, so one of the coolest things i think about sound is that it's everywhere and mm. it's everything and no one has any idea what it is mm. <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah I, I, so i guess I'll, I'll start over from from uh in the beginning <laughs> there was air and air is all around us um so anything that you hear that is sound is actually just vibrations in air particles. Mm. Uh, all all sound is just is just little little wiggly waves that, that move through the air. Right, I'm with you. It doesn't actually have to be uh, air; it can be anything. Any uh, any two particles next to each other, uh, when they have force applied to them, uh, will rub up against one another in such a way that it generates uh, a, a wave, a sound wave. Yeah, I assume air is probably the most common, though. Yeah, uh, that's why when you're up in space, uh, stuff doesn't actually make yeah. sound no, in the nobody, way that you're, that yeah. you're familiar with because there's no, no air up there. Nobody can hear you scream. Sure, which really uh, sucks for screamo bands. I know, it's so annoying. Just, like, it depend, I guess depending on your, your attitude towards screamo bands, going to space will either be a terrible or fantastic thing. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so um, all all sound is basically just uh, what is technically known as an oscillation mm. of uh, two particles against one another, and so that means that you can, in if in your head, uh, consider a squiggly line. Got it. It has a center point, and it goes up, and then it goes down, mm. and it goes back to the center point. Yep. That is the fundamental concept behind all sound i am literally watching a line a squiggly line on my screen right now going up and down so yeah exactly yeah that's that's so so yeah that's basically the um the the whole the epitome of what sound is is it's it's a line that goes up and down and up and down and how fast it does that uh determines what kind of pitch you have which is how fast it goes up and down in a certain uh, amount of time right so, okay, so basically, like, visually, just so to give people an idea, what what's the lower pitch and what's the higher pitch according to the line? Is it like if the the line wiggles more, it's a higher pitch, or if the line wiggles more, is it a lower pitch? Uh, if the line wiggles more, it is a higher pitch. Right. Uh, so if if uh, if you go back to thinking about a squiggly line in air, which yep. is certainly not the way that I'm used to seeing this, although it, it <laughs> works. Yeah. Uh, if you have, um, you know, uh, when you hear like a really, uh, deep bass or yep. you've got like a, a kick drum or something and it's really low. Yep. Uh, those have, uh, a frequency of about, let's say 80 Hertz. Yep. Which means, uh, the length of one cycle of, of the start of the squiggly line to the first time that it repeats, uh, happens once every happens 80 times a second yeah it also means that the the wavelength or like the the amount of distance that it has to travel Mm -hmm. uh to to make one full full loop of itself can be pretty big right um you you can get uh wavelengths that last for a couple of meters jeez Uh, 
which yeah it's it's interesting and that does actually have a lot to do with um so uh, are you uh, what kind of room are you in right now like a, a small office i guess is the best way of describing it how 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 big would you would you put it as like um, wall to wall i'd i'd say it's probably approximately 3 by 3 and a half meters thereabouts maybe yeah so uh, if you had uh, your speakers at one side of that and they were were playing say like a, a low a low bass sound uh, you would need to stand all the way on the other side of the room for you to actually hear the full full wavelength of that of that sound right so is that Which, kind of just uh, like actually, if you say like you own a subwoofer if you get like basically if you go right next put your head right next to your subwoofer are you basically not really hearing the full sound from the bass coming out of that subwoofer? Um, if your if your ear is right up against yeah. it, you will hear it. If you're about thirty centimeters away, you won't hear it as much. Right. Um, if you go and if you go and stand about like two or three meters away from it, then then you'll hear it a lot fuller. Right. 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 Uh, which is is one of the big things that goes into designing. Uh, spaces like studio spaces yeah, is um, yeah. they have to, they have to really think about the way that the sounds are all going to reflect off of other surfaces right. and uh, hit the hit the listener properly. Does that mean like you put a lot of thought and effort into organizing any room in your house that has audio equipment in it? I would like to say that that is true. I have <laughs> well, a very small bedroom. Right. <laughs> so, I was gonna. So I was gonna no, say. I just, I, I just kind of work with what I've got. <laughs> Technically, you could still say it's true, and no one would be any the wiser. Yes, I I, I have a 50-meter-wide 50, 50 studio space it's amazing. that I live in. It sounds like it as well. Uh, so, okay, uh, so now that we've got a basic idea of what sound is, um, if we go back to our power Edison again, so how how did he allegedly figure out or at least steal the idea of figuring out like how to actually record that uh well basically uh the the wax cylinders that they had uh work in much the same way that a uh, vinyl does even to this day which is basically you have a surface and you're cutting into that surface and you are cutting in uh the up and down which is basically uh the it has a little stylus in it and it cuts uh, from like side to side, and that records what the frequency is. Yeah. So, so that's whether or not it's a it's like higher pitched or lower pitched, um, and it it cuts into this this wax cylinder or the vinyl from side to side, and then when uh, the stylus traces back through that, it uh, reproduces that through an amplifier and the big the big horn thing. Yeah. That you'd see on on all the old record players and gramophones. Yeah. And, uh, and then it comes out as sound. Hmm. So how much, like, let's say in, in regards to something like vinyl, because obviously vinyl is not exactly thick, so the deviations in the width and stuff of the etchings on the vinyl are not going to be huge. They're going to be fairly microscopic, I gather. Yeah, they're, they're very... Um, what's, what's, what's a good way to put this? They're, there's a lot of information that you can't record in them. Specifically, um, when it comes to recording very low frequencies, mm-hmm. um, because because those have such a long wavelength and they and they go so slowly, you actually need to to burn through a whole lot of vinyl to record 
those those frequencies as as effectively as they would need to be into in order to be recorded properly and so uh, a lot of vinyl recordings actually don't have as much of a of a powerful low end uh, as electronic recordings do that said vinyl recordings are actually very very true to real life Mm. is there a particular Uh, reason for why that's so true to real life yes it's kind of technical but i'll i'll try and give you the give the the most cut down yeah give the most idiot appropriate version of the explanation (laughs) i'll 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 see what i can do (laughs) um so so basically uh when you're recording something electronically you're recording uh bear with me here if you're using a standard cd format of 44.1 kilohertz Mm-hmm. That is recording 444,100 discrete pieces of audio a second. Yep. Which is just, it's a tiny fraction of a second and it just records uh, how loud it is and what the uh, what part of the up or down in the air squiggle it is. Which again, my... my... My screen settings here tell me that's exactly what this audio right now is being recorded as, that standard 44,100 44, hertz, by the looks of it. Yep. yep. Uh, and so basically, because it's a, it's a computer, it can only do so much of that. Yeah. Uh, and so like, like 44,100 is a lot, but because vinyl is technically just recording the motion of the the stylus in mm-hmm. in the vinyl or the wax there is technically no no information that can get lost right and and so if you you can you can bump up the the uh frequency of the of the like electronic recording that you're doing as much as you want mm. but it's not ever going to be as accurate as something that is entirely one to one right yeah, because I guess there's I guess, so the general idea is basically there's only so much. No matter how hard you try, there's still only so much of the audio that's going to fit into those, you know, forty-four point one hertz or however many hertz you're recording as. So even the tiniest specs are going to get lost or possibly get lost somewhere along the way. Yeah. Right. That's that. That's that's the technical definition. Practically, there's not really much of a difference, <laughs> but but. Okay, being it is, te- it is technically that. I assume you are someone who probably has a lot more of an ear for like audio discrepancies than someone like me would. Do you? Are you the kind of person who can hear the difference between vinyl and non-vinyl? Well, te- technically, yes. <laughs> Practically no. I'm. There's a lot of people, especially these days, that will absolutely only swear by vinyl. Mm. They will say that it's it's so much objectively better. Mm-hmm. Practically, that's only because of the way that the vinyl is converted into audio. Is it goes through amplifiers and uh, other other gear, which changes the texture of of the recording. Right. on the way out of out of the speaker and so it technically gets warmed up a little bit right that's not a 
well, that is a technical term, but uh, <laughs> it gets gets a little bit warmed up, and that uh, it sounds a little bit more pleasing to the ear. Right. So it's people so... are going to get very mad at me for saying that, but it's true. <laughs> Take that, vinyl snobs! You've been served. <laughs> Direct all your complaints directly to Lucas, not to me. I said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess if we go back again, back to sort of the Thomas Edison stuff, um, once once they figured out the way of recording onto those sort of wax tubes, where did the world of recording sort of progress from there? Uh, well, from there it kind of blew up the planet a little bit. <laughs> uh Things, things got kind of wild because before then, the only way that you could ever hear music as a normal person who wasn't a musician was to go out to actual concerts and like people busking in the street. And that was the only way that you could actually access music. It really wasn't accessible for the, for the lower and the, even the middle class, really. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> And that kind of changed with the advent of, of recording. Like you could, you could get a recording of a, a famous piece and listen to it over and over and over again. And it really changed so much of the culture around what music was. Mm. It really made a lot more people actually be able to experience and enjoy music for what it was. Yeah, and, I, I suppose did it start having effects on the type of music that got made? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, so uh, before then, there was a lot of uh, cl- uh, classical, let's say, classical pieces <laughs> that were very well revered in high cir- uh, social circles. Because I guess at this point, music, uh, before before recording happened, I music would have been... Because it was, you know, live performances of probably majority classical type music, I guess it would have been considered like a high class thing, like very upper class kind of hobby to enjoy music. So, you know, they didn't want the riffraff getting hold of their music. Yeah, basically, there was a whole lot of uh, elitism and, and classism uh, revolving around it. Some of the only places that you could actually experience uh, music as a as a commoner were uh, in places that were like i i don't want to say brothels they they used to <laughs> not they, so much they, brothels they a, but like sex dens <laughs> yeah basically they they used to have uh a, a lot of a lot of places like that that were very uh open to all walks of life yeah putting it delicately <laughs> um the, there was a lot more of those places that that had a lot uh, of musical performance that was like often sometimes the only way that you would actually experience it unless there was a, a, a traveling musician in your town or something. So like a husband would come home to his wife being like, no, I was just at the brothel for music, I swear. <laughs> I, was, I was only listening to Bach for the, for the, <laughs> no, the entertainment. I only have eyes for you, but I have ears for so much else. <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, so with the advent of, of recorded music, um, people were able to experience a lot more music, and especially uh, over the course of uh, world uh, world wars, especially were were a big part of this, where they would have uh, recordings from overseas that would be, get transported by the by the soldiers, and so that was one of the first ways that 
people kind of cross-contaminated other other music uh, culturally into yeah. other other places. So that was where a lot of the a lot of the the, the uh, French and like European stuff made it into uh, America was was through all the soldiers in the in the World wars. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and just for clarification, so what what kind of year was this happening with with like when Edison first kind of figured out how to do it? What what year was that? Uh, or, off or the top a, of my head, yeah, or like approximately anyway. Uh, I think it was somewhere around the like the mid eighteen hundreds that it started happening. Right, right. It didn't get a lot more uh, common until the the later kind of later eighteen hundreds, early early nineteen hundreds. Yeah, because was it still once it first came in? Was it still an expensive process? Like obviously recording oh, yeah. and then obtaining the actual recorded stuff, I imagine was still not cheap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you would really only have, uh, like, if you were if you were lucky, you would maybe have one one uh, gramophone. Yeah. Uh, in in your like family, if not street or neighborhood, yeah. but like. Over time, they became easier to produce, and then they became cheaper, and then a lot more people yeah. started having them. Yeah, I mean, much like any form of real recording and audio reproducing stuff, it always becomes cheaper in the end. Oh yeah, definitely. Right. So, was there any kind of was there any kind of period after that where there was a particular boom in sort of the recording and music reproduction or audio reproduction realm? Uh, well, there were, uh, so one of the biggest changes that happened was towards the uh, mid nineteen fifties, mm. and uh, move, moving on into the into the sixteen and sixties uh, and seventies, not not sixteen seventies. Good was <laughs> my God, it went, it went back in time. <laughs> my mixtape was so fire, it went back to yeah. the sixteen hundreds. <laughs> the sickest beats. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, um, it was uh, especially towards. The um the mid uh mid and later nineteen hundreds, that uh people started to consider recorded audio as not just a medium for playing back, but an actual potential medium for creativity. Right. And that was where we started getting into some of the, the more art music, uh, music concrete kind of experimentation. All right. And what'd be what'd be some good examples of that sort of thing? Uh, there was, oh, what was, what was his name? Was it John Cage by any chance? It was not, no. It okay, was, um, damn. Oh, God damn. I, I need to look it up because it, it is going to, it is going to irritate me. <laughs> uh, you can cut this out. <laughs> uh, no, I, I will make sure every, you have to live your shame. It's, it's for the record forever that you couldn't remember it off the top of your head. I'm I'm the worst artist in the <laughs> world. You should be ashamed of yourself. I am. Pierre Schaeffer and Pierre Henri. Oh, of course, that ones. guy. I I I I got it immediately. I didn't have to look it up. Don't laugh at me. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the, they were they were the um initial pioneers of uh, the ones who considered that you could not only take recordings and rearrange them, but also mess with them and, mm. and goof them all up to make them sound interesting and weird and different. 
So like what, what, what kind of some of the earlier ways they did that? Was it just sort of simple things like speeding and slowing up the, the audio or was it more, you know, adding in distortion or what kind of forms of audio manipulation did they do? Uh, so one of the, the earlier ones that I can remember, it was uh, they, I think it was Pierre Schaeffer uh, in one of the first examples of music concrete, uh, took the sound of a train and just kind of cut it up and played with it and reversed some of it and then looped it around and put other other sounds in there. And it wasn't what a lot of people would consider musical. Right. Which means that I absolutely loved it because right. it's not what you would consider musical. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure like still- you would lo- you and Kyle, who I spoke to in the last episode, would get along very well by the sounds of this. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was it was it was one of the first examples of of people taking m- music recording and not just seeing what it is, but instead being able to consider what you can do with it, yeah. and then from that. Uh, in in the years following, you would later get uh, hip hop sampling, and then you would get uh, electronic music as a as a, an, it's an art form. And then like, you've got DJs that are that are scratching and and messing up other people's uh, mm. recordings. And then that that became a whole thing. That's yeah, it's a that's branched, maybe another podcast. Yeah, it branched off into its own thing. At the same at the same time, I guess did this like you know coming up through the nineteen hundreds towards the mid nineteen hundreds, the the addition of because obviously the recording of sound probably would have allowed the introduction of sound into movies as well, I gather. Oh yeah, definitely. So, um, because, like coming out of the the period in the 1900s where you had a lot of silent films, mm-hmm. it was it was maybe less of a of a need for um, sound effects. Yeah, because everything was done in in the theaters and that actually is an entire other subject which is really yeah. cool uh, all, all of the the live performance of, of sound effects in movies was really interesting yeah it would have been because yeah obviously a lot of it in the silent movie days like before they even tried doing sound effects was just you know an orchestra or whatever playing the music live while they screen this the movie yeah, which can you imagine if that was happening today? Like, yeah. if you just went out to to watch the latest Avengers movie and you just had John Williams and the in, the entire orchestra just hanging out in the front, yeah. like, come on, guys, let's get started. Just man, the, the size of like your your event cinemas would just be grossly <laughs> significantly larger. It's like every because they need they need an orchestra for every cinema. Actually, the work for orchestras would probably be like enormous. That would single-handedly save the, the modern orchestra. I yeah, because, you know, you go to your average, you know, 16 cinema uh, cineplex, you'd need 16 different orchestras for everyone. Yeah. We should bring which, this which back. I, I would be on board with. Yeah, I, you know, I, I see so many, you know, 15-year-old kids busking for money with their violin in the mall. Just send that kid to a cinema. Exactly. Yeah. And then everyone would say, oh, hey, well, this violin's kind of dope. Yeah, exactly. I want to give them a lot of money. Exactly. I want to play along to some movies. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, that's, that's, that's something to work on. Let's start a Kickstarter, see if we can get that happening. Yeah, I, I've just thought of an entire new business model, so yeah. I've got plans after this podcast. Of course, the like cinema tickets will now cost $100 for a movie. That's the one <laughs> downside. So, um, yeah, so obviously that started happening and 
we've branched into you know, more modern day styles of recording and I guess audio manipulation. Is there any sort of other ways in which it's obviously movies and there's music? Is there any other sort of ways that this started affecting other industries or other areas? Uh, especially in recent years, this, this is kind of a bit of a, a walk away from what we have been talking about. Yeah. Uh, but in recent years, uh, radio stations have kind of been having a rough time of it Yeah, because people don't listen to the radio anymore, really. Everyone just, just turns on their iPod or they, they yeah. have the CD collection. Because or... I am so like in recording something like this, I am counting on people not listening to their radio. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's taken its toll on them. Like I've, I know a lot of radio stations put up their good segments just as podcasts, expecting yeah, yeah. that people will listen to them. Yeah, most of them do like morning show, all the morning show and drive time, like any of the personality based radio sort of shows these days mm. seem to immediately be like, yes, find this online as a podcast immediately after we've finished airing it. I can't wait until they start advertising Casper mattresses on the radio. Yeah, exactly. Like we're just having a break for like MeUndies and NatureBox on the radio. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> Coming up soon, the news at six. But first, here's an ad for Extreme Restraints. Yeah. <laughs> let's listen to let's listen to to Harry's Shave Club or whatever it is. Let's talk about that for a while. <laughs> From our most respected news radio journalist. I would actually pay a lot of money if they would do that. That would be yeah. the coolest thing. Just get out there making like Alan Jones, just like just slum it and <laughs> <laughs> advertise some fucking underwear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just about to go like try and do my, my best Alan Jones impression. Yeah. They're, they're, they're real good on your downstairs. Yeah. It really makes it feel breathy and full of air. My old man balls feels like the balls of a 40-year-old now. <laughs> so anyway, so how has it been actually? Obviously, the radio stations have been having a rough go of it. So how has like, this stuff played into that? Like apart from no one wanting to listen to the radio anymore. Well, it's kind of interesting because uh, they don't really have a good way to counter it unless... But uh, so, so one of the, the biggest changes is that People don't have to settle for music that they don't love anymore. Yeah. Like yeah. if anything comes on and they say, oh, this sucks, they can just turn on their phone yeah. and then listen to music that they do like. Especially when, especially like a lot of radio shows used to have their, you know, their requests, you know, it's, this is this two or three hours a night where people call in and request. But if you want to request a song yeah. now, you type it into the search bar in iTunes. <laughs> Yeah, just just go on Spotify and they've already like, custom built you an entire like, radio station. You don't actually even need to type it on. You you literally just say, "Hey Google, play me this song." And he goes, "Okay." Yes, we we live in in 2018 now. Yeah. That is a thing that we can do. Yeah, no one needs to make phone calls ever anymore. <laughs> I, I got a phone call the other day and I was just like, "Wait, how do how do I what is it? What does it, it do? I your phone, it where? Your phone started ringing. You just threw it into the ocean because you freaked out. <laughs> they want me to say things with my mouth. Don't they know that I can type them? <laughs> uh, I, actually, I actually have a, a, a Stephen Hawking talk box on my phone just in case anyone wants to phone call me. I, <laughs> I, just, I just start typing out the words. 
perfect perfect but yeah i mean there is that ongoing thing like there's so many apparently a lot of <laughs> the upcoming generations have massive anxiety when it comes to phone calls because they've never really <laughs> done them Jokes on them, the only jobs that are going to be going soon are in call centres. Hey, everyone's going to be dangerously unqualified for them. <laughs> We're all poor and depressed. But also, um, like, on the other hand, no one's actually got, like, there's going to be people working in call centres and no one actually answering the calls because they're too terrified of their ringing phone. It's, it's all going to be in that web chat. Exactly. Just, that's all we need now. It's all going to be all of us talking to, like, alexa on through web chat there's actually not going to be call centers anymore it's just going to be amazon's ai covering us all <laughs> the new call centers are just internet cafes where people turn up and... but of course just, we won't actually be asking the questions because like on one end it'll be someone asking siri to contact alexa to ask alexa a question and then pass it on <laughs> so it's just two ais talking to each other back and forth forever facebook has enough of your data that they can just auto predict any questions and then give you answers Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be like that. I don't know if you've ever watched Black Mirror, but there's that episode where a, a girl's husband dies and they basically represent, re, they recreate a fake AI personality yes. of his through all of his his social media stuff. And it's, you know, it's not that unrealistic that you probably could. But but the best part about that was that then you can just, like, lock him up in the basement so you don't actually have to deal with him 90% of the time. Yeah, I mean, just like just like we all do in real relationships, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I feel like we've gotten very sidetracked. Yeah. Um. So, uh, actually, <laughs> getting back on, <laughs> back to the topic at hand. Uh, one of the actual uh, biggest changes that, uh, not having the radio on as much anymore, is that recording artists don't get paid as much. At yeah. least not in the same way. Um. So the the old system used to be that every time a radio played your song they would have to uh give a, a portion of of the royalties to uh, uh in australia it's a, it's a company called apra that mm. basically just tracks all of the, the music that's played and then uh they send you a check when you at the end of each quarter or each year or however, however much you get mm. um and now uh since a lot of people are moving to things like spotify they get i think they get like Seven hundredths of a cent every play. Yeah, which which mean means that they need to get a lot more plays in order to get a bit of money. Yeah, you know, like seven hundredths of a cent. So you need to play your song. What's that like? How many times to get a cent? You need to play your song like about sixteen times to get a cent. <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's. That's that's a that's that's the future of, of artists. Yeah. So you know, if you're currently angling towards a music career, maybe reconsider your options. Yeah. Make make sure that you pay attention in those really annoying business classes. That will be your life. Like at this point, it's almost better to become a busker because you'll earn money quicker. Oh, yeah. Buskers actually make decent money. I never thought about it, but like, if if you get like one or two dollars every like, say, ten minutes. Mm. You're making like almost the same as an actual person doing an actual job. As long as you're like a moderately good busker or a child. A lot of people just take pity on children. You just need to have like a weird, a weird quirk thing. Like this is is something that I do. Which I think is why a lot of people tend to like, if you ever go to somewhere like New York, you see so many, what you basically consider 
full elaborate bands just working as buskers in subway stations because they probably yeah. <laughs> it probably actually gets them a decent amount of money with the amount of thoroughfare going in those places every day. I'm pretty sure I have seen a video of someone playing some really sweet dope ass piano in a subway. Yeah. But on the screen on the screen in front of them, instead of actually having sheet music, they were just watching anime. <laughs> See, it's it's like it's going back to the movie thing. They were actually playing the soundtrack to that anime. <laughs> so people could watch it and also enjoy the the OST for it at the same time. That's I that's really all I want out of my <laughs> subway experience. Yeah. Just give me more anime shoved <laughs> into my veins. Exactly. There's not nearly enough anime in the in the Queensland transport system. Exactly. Think of all the extra crowd we could have gotten during the Commonwealth Games. Exactly. Like, you just have a whole anime section of the Commonwealth Games village. <laughs> like, have, like, instead, have the 100 meters. Everyone's doing the Naruto run. <laughs> it's perfect. I, I, I think I've got some changes to submit. <laughs> anime Olympics, it's coming. We've got, we've got two years to get in touch with the next Olympic people to make some changes. <laughs> Uh, okay, so now we have a vague, vague idea of how of the history of this recording stuff. How how did you get into this kind of thing? How did this become a thing you were interested in? Uh, well, I I started off uh, at the tender age of ten. Mm-hmm. Ten. That is the most tender uh, of ages. Playing... It is. It is. It's in the name. Um, uh, I I started off playing drums, which kind of is good. But also sucks if you want to get into the actual music side because it's. Yeah. The, I don't want to say the least musical, but kind of is. It's kind of the least like no one, like, it's kind of weird because drumming is obviously like a very integral part to like the vast majority of music a lot of the time. But it's also one of the few things that some no one's going to be like, I want to sit down and listen to some drums. Yeah, like like you, you can't exactly write a drum concerto. Without yeah. having a very specific audience in mind. Yeah, no one's rocking up to a party being like, "Oh wow, a drum kit," and then knocking out some Wonderwall on the drums. <laughs> just, just, just playing a very basic rock beat, and then people ask, "What song are you playing? What song do you think it is?" I can't believe you don't recognize it. Oh, this is this is a classic. Don't you remember this bit? <laughs> no, please leave my house. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I started off playing drums and then I wanted to, uh, ever the artist, express myself a little bit more. And mm. so I, I, I started learning guitar, self-taught. And so it doesn't matter that I can't play because I can say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm still yeah. teaching myself. You know? I have been making that claim for approximately 18 years. Hell yeah. That's all you need. You just, yeah. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I just play around. Yeah, just, 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 it's just a casual thing. It's not because I'm not very good. It's an intentional choice. Exactly. Uh, and then, and then from then, I started playing around with uh, a few other instruments and trying and failing to learn them. Uh, but I, I got very into electronic music uh, at some point in high school. I think, as a lot of people do, very regrettably, mm. um, and. It was about grade 11 where I was, I was in the middle of doing all of my schooling. I was doing a full math science course at high school. Right. Like math B, math C, physics, chemistry, 
Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, you're, you're one of them. Yeah, and then I, I, I really wanted to go into physics until in early grade 12, I realized that that would just be sitting around doing maths all day. <laughs> uh, not, a, not a big fan. Yeah, no. No, thanks. And so... And so I, I had had been getting more into like doing music stuff, and then I found out that there was a course that was basically uh, music and technology, which are two things that I was big into all yeah. at once. And I yeah. said, "Yeah, I want to do that." It's kind of like how I did. Like I was like, "Hey, I, maybe I want to get in and think about the idea of like video game design and that sort of stuff." And then I did like one basic programming course, and I went, "Wait." Turns out I just actually like playing video games and I want nothing to do with this programming stuff and I hate it and I never touched it again. Yeah, just just let me be the one that tells everyone else what to do. Yeah, let me tell them my That's sweet the ideas. I if I just be like, I have this great idea, yeah. then do it. Also, pay me money, please. <laughs> but, uh, and yeah, and so so I, I started uh, getting more interested in the, the music and then technology side and then the recording side and then the production side and then... About halfway through the course, we started going into the philosophy behind music. Hmm. And that really absolutely just changed my outset, like, instantly. I'd, right. I'd, I'd, I'd gone from trying to make hot EDM bangers hmm. into making weird art noise music and, <laughs> and trying to express things that weren't able to be expressed, which right. was really weird, but... It suddenly like became the coolest thing in the world to me. So, like, so what sort of things are we talking here we, that you were putting together? Uh, so, I've, I mean, I've had I've had way too many failed projects to be able to list any. But <laughs> <laughs> for for example, uh, I I wanted to make uh, a twelve month long project where every month I would release a new song, uh, and each of them would have an expression of some some sort of cryptid. Uh, and so, like, I would try, try and make a song that was, A, both cool to listen to and, uh, B, would express a story of some kind of monster, purely through audio. And how did that I go? I got one of these done. <laughs> Which one? Uh, it was it was about a changeling. It was, uh, like, uh, so like a, a monster kind of, ate someone's wife and then became her. Right. And then it was it was the, the story of trying to figure out that, hey, you ate my wife. I don't like that. So how so how do you do that through, like, like how did you accomplish that, I guess? <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting process because you have to try and think what sounds sound like this feeling. Mm. which is a whole lot to try and do, to try and compress all of your knowledge and feelings and emotions down into a sound signature. Yeah. Is such a strange thing, and yet we do it all the time and we don't even notice. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, what were, what were, yeah, explain some of the obvious ways that, like, the, un, the ways we do it and don't notice. So, for instance, one of the, what's the date today? Oh, it's the 21st. 21st of yeah. April. Um, uh, so one of the easiest ones is uh, reggae, mm. uh, which kind of, it, it feels like weed. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it kind of does. And, and that, 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 that's due to a combination of both 
being associated with people getting high, but also the feeling of being high in relation to not being high. So yeah. everything seems a lot like you get a lot more chilled and relaxed and kind of move at your own pace. You're not as locked into like a steady uh, rhythm, uh, yeah. which is, is a characteristic that you find a lot in reggae. It's, it's very, uh, very slow, very, very laid back. Uh, the syncopation is there. Yeah, it, it has that laid back floaty vibe, which I guess yeah, is, is sort of what has translated into the weed feeling. Whereas, you know, prior to weed culture, it might have been just the idea of like laying back in water and sort of bobbing up and down. Yeah. And and so we and we see that a lot, especially in in movies. Uh, yeah. They're very good at at taking a scene and matching a feeling to that scene, whether it be from the choice of instruments or the choice of genre or the choice of uh, even speed or mm. uh, the lack of music can yeah. sometimes attribute to that, which mm. is really interesting. But once you start noticing it, you can't not notice it. And it's everywhere, and it will torture you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a good example of the of the recent movie using something like that was um, what's it called, Dunkirk, where oh yeah, the, definitely the, the entire score was like almost just this ticking, which constantly changed tempo throughout the movie. Yeah, it which was, <laughs> the the entire score was someone bought a clock and said that'll do, and yeah, and it worked, and like it just stressed you out of the entire fucking movie. Yeah, and um, and it's it's really interesting, and there's there's a lot of really good uh, examples of this. Hmm. Do you have any particular um, favorites? Um, so it's kind of related, I guess, to this. Um, one of my favorites is actually uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Right, it's a good movie. Uh, because uh, it is. I I like it a lot. Fight me. In the comments, um, uh, I, I I really like it because it does a really good example. Uh, it, it does a really good job of combining the video game aesthetic with the like chilled out vibe of the the band, but mm. also combining in the the angsty teenagey kind of rebellion vibe, yeah. which. Is is a really weird thing to say, but like when you watch it, everything feels like it fits and it belongs. Mm. Yeah, um, and obviously, a lot of being that it was an Edgar Wright movie, he tends to put a lot of thought into the actual way that sound interacts with the movie itself. So it's not that surprising. Oh, oh yeah. Don't, don't even get me started on Baby Driver because, oh, my Lord, yeah. that movie was made for me. Yeah, that, that, that was literally the entire foundation of that movie was him being like, okay, I've toyed with yeah. this a bit. Now I want it to be the focus of my whole movie. <laughs> Is it that kind of stuff like the audio and the way that works in a movie that will kind of make a movie just... Because obviously you're more keenly aware of that kind of stuff than someone else might be. So is that the kind of thing you will notice and immediately like make a movie better for you just because you're so aware of how well it might have been done? Oh, definitely. Like, so, so one of the things that a lot of uh, composers and, and sound designers like to say is that if you don't notice my work, then I've done my job properly, hmm. which really kind of goes to show that if you have a soundtrack that's happening, that is making you focus on the sound more than the events that are actually occurring. Mm. 
it doesn't it doesn't fit. Mm. There is a, there's a lot of times in like especially in film, uh, but also in, in games where um you need to pull back. Like you can have the coolest theme in history, but yeah. if people are watching the movie and they're only focusing on on the theme song, then that sucks because yeah. people aren't enjoying the experience for what it's supposed to be. Yeah. I always feel like that applies in horror movies a lot. Like they, a lot of the lesser ones forget the, the value of the balance of noise versus silence. Oh yeah, definitely. Like they're just like, no, we are going to, you know, barrage you with noise instead. And sometimes hey. like, yeah, you need to just slow down for a second to really have that sense of terrifying calm that can come with silence. Yeah, you know, you know what's really cool is forty-five jump scares in ninety minutes. Because mm, that becomes more exhausting than it does scary. He's like, I am now tired of this, and I expect it. Yeah, I just it's, it's like if if you have no sound for for nine minutes, and then it plays a horror theme for twenty seconds, and yeah. then you go back to no sound, that is terrifying. Because and especially when you know people have a are ingrained to expect sound and noise in that, or like silence means something's coming in uh, in that kind of situation. So the longer you kind of drag out that silence, the more it can stress people out due to the sense of expectation they automatically have. Yeah, definitely. That's that's one of the things that I think a lot of people underestimate is how loud silence can be. Yeah. If you start to notice that there is no sound, then suddenly that's the biggest thing in the world to you. Because, yeah, I noticed, I saw there's that movie, the Qu- A Quiet Place, that's out recently, yeah. which is kind of all about a, a world that's primarily focused around silence. And I noticed that because that movie has l- lengthy stretches of time where there's very limited sound. And then when there is sound, like the sound seems really loud, but it's just because yeah. there hasn't been sound for so long that it just cuts through that silence such so much more significantly. Yeah, and that's I'm actually really excited to to see that movie. I usually don't go and watch horror movies at the movies, yeah. but this is one where I really feel like I need to go and see it and yeah. just experience it for, for what it is because it I feels would, like it's going to be yeah. really cool. I would definitely recommend it. It is very good. Hmm. So, okay, so what are the other, some of the other projects or stuff that you've dedicated yourself towards within this realm? Um, so I've done a lot of sound design stuff. Uh, initially, it was for my uh, uh, electronic dance music product project. Of course, you know, hitting up them um, rays at the blue light discos on Friday nights. <laughs> yeah, gonna come drop my sick beats <laughs> at the blue light disco after the nut bush. Yeah. But, um. But yeah, no. Uh, so I, I, recently, I've I've tried getting a lot more into sound design for like game stuff. Yeah. Especially, uh, so one of the projects that I'm that I'm kind of working on is uh, it's a, a mech game set in like PS One era. Yeah. Um, so like it plays giant robots and you have to shoot other giant robots. Um, it's always fun. But uh, all of the the weapons have different. Uh, brands associated with them and different techniques that they can do, like like different characteristics of of gun. Mm. And so, tr- trying to distill guns down to 
say this gun is a laser gun, mm. but it is a sniper rifle as opposed to this gun is a is a laser gun, uh, but is an assault rifle as yeah. opposed to this gun is a rocket, but it's a sniper rifle. Yeah, uh, trying to figure out exactly where those things cross over and where they're different is really interesting. So, and 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 how do you go about kind of creating those differing sounds? How do you where do you even start? Uh, so you really kind of have to. Uh, one of the best things that you can do is take real world references. Right. Uh, so for me, I got a I got a giant robot to shoot me with a laser. Uh, fine, you know it's good. Those those giant robots. The Iron Giant really has been down in his luck lately. He needs to get a lot of work. <laughs> you can you can find a lot of things on Fiverr if you look hard enough. Yeah, you know, like yeah, you, you just like put it to Air Tasker. You like need giant robot to shoot me. Iron Giant rocked up being like, I just finished filming Ready Player One and I really need some more cash. What do you got for me? I need someone to shoot me with a giant, giant robot. I can't do it because it's I'm its dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, one of the things is looking at real-world examples of, like, say, a sniper rifle. And uh, you have different examples of, say, uh, when you're up close to it and you can hear... Uh, the the gun shoot and the bullet goes versus when you are on the receiving end hmm. and so you have a bullet smack into you and then five seconds later you hear the the gun go off yeah because that's the way that, that speed works speed of sound and stuff um and and so trying to take something like that so that kind of scenario and then pull out of that the things that are inherent to it being a, a gun gun like so like in, inside of the gun you have uh, a little explosion that propels a bullet and then uh, all of that comes out at once versus if it was a laser instead of that you would have a different like laser propulsion system mm. and so you've got to consider what that would sound like and then the sound of an impact of that versus uh, something like a rocket which is a lot bigger and so it would have a lot more of an uh, explosive sound hmm. of discharge and then so, so once you've sort of narrowed down those different elements how how would you assemble an appropriate sound i guess um so an interesting thing about lasers is that they've almost always been done with synthesis right uh so that you use like synthesizers and you just you just make a thing that goes pew <laughs> you say I want, I want that and you make it go pew and then it does the pew um, but then you've also got to consider, uh, so if a laser hits, say a metal surface, is it going to eat through it or is it going to have a, a hard impact against the shield or is it going to have a hard impact against metal? And so you've got to, you've really got to consider all of the, all of the possibilities of a sound, what makes up every interaction of every sound that you've got hmm. and then try and combine them all in different ways. Yeah, and, it, and let's say you've got something like that. So you've got the sound, you've created a sound of something shooting. Like how many different sort of variations for that of that single sound would you have to do? Like say like, okay, it's shooting, but this time it's shooting in a big room. So there might be an echo or this time it's shooting like in a different situation. Like do you have to create a whole bunch of different variations for a single sound? Uh, it, it depends. Um, so... Uh, I don't know if you've ever played Team Fortress 2. I have. I mean, not for a long time, but I have played it back in the day. 
Um, do you remember the the sound of uh, things hitting metal in that game? Uh, not not very distinctly. Uh, I I do because they're in everything. It's like every every single sound of a gun impacting metal. There's about five different sounds of them, and they show up in everything. <laughs> <laughs> and once you notice it, you can't not notice it. Right. Everything I hear that has those same four or five impact samples destroys me. Um, so, so one of the things that I like to do is uh, you can make a few different variations based on uh, different source samples. Hmm. And then one of the things that especially a lot of games let you do is you can uh, randomize some of the some of the features. So you can randomize the uh, the pitch of it. So if it goes like if you have the same sound, but it sometimes starts slightly higher in pitch and, and slightly lower in pitch. Mm. Uh, it 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 feels like a different sound, even though it's not, because yeah. it's it's not exactly the same. Yeah. So so in this kind of thing, where if you're working on a game project, because you, obviously you focus primarily primarily on the sound, is it kind of like there's other people or someone else is like, okay, we need these sounds, and then you go and create the sounds, and then you give them the sounds, and they insert them into the appropriate places or do you have more of a like have more part in the actual like insertion process of the sounds into their appropriate places as well it it, it definitely varies um sometimes uh it's a lot easier to just plug in a whole bunch of of sound files and then they just they just make it work mm. Sometimes you'd need to put a lot more effort in with respect to um, surrounding features. So, like, uh, if you have a game that's set inside of a closed room, for example, but there's a bunch of different sized rooms, each of those different rooms would have a different uh, reverb profile, which is yeah. basically just, like, the, the, the echo after a sound happens. And so you would need to go into each of those and set a different reverb profile for each of the sounds and make sure that they all work and the reverb doesn't make the sound really nasty yeah because that that happens a lot when you're like this is the perfect sound and you put it into the game and it's oh this sounds like garbage <laughs> so like if let's say like a standard game situation like if and like you're a game you have a game character standing in a room and shooting but obviously then if a character shoots, it's going to have like, you know, that bullet might hit another character or it might hit a wall or and stuff. And that might cause other things. Like how many different kind of sound items would need to be created for just something simple like that? Well, that's, uh, that's kind of a fun thing, actually, because you get to... By virtue of the fact that it's a game and it's not real life you get to choose which things you include and which ones you don't. Right. Uh, and, and, and so a lot of, uh, a lot of it comes down to, to game feel and to player experience mm. about whether or not it feels better for them to hear, um, how many times their bullets impact on someone right. versus how many times they, they fire at someone versus how many times they're getting fired at. And so a lot of that really gets, gets narrowed down into the very fine details of, uh, right. of of the, the later part of a game design, but right. it's all really interesting to consider. And like, if you if you switch some of them around at the last minute, suddenly 
everything feels different and you can make something feel really powerful or really weak. And is it, is it the kind of thing of, of sort of also establishing what uh, the necessary sounds, like sort of some sounds might be able to be left out because overall, you know, maybe the human ear won't notice it as much, but if something yeah. else, some other kind of sound is missing, which might seem inconsequential, it just makes the whole thing seem weird. Just something seems off about it because that particular sound is missing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things that you find a lot is that sometimes you'll have all of the sounds that are happening in a space, but it doesn't feel like enough. Hmm. And then you think, oh, well, I need to add the sound of, say, a person's footsteps, even though that's not relevant at all to what is happening in the space. It makes everything feel a lot more real to you as a player rather than... Yeah what you would actually be fe- be hearing or feeling. Yeah. And that really comes down to the artistic choices that you get to make as a sound designer. Yeah. Cause I'd say you'd notice like if you play a lot of games, you would notice that footsteps are probably made a lot louder in games than footsteps occur in everyday life. But I guess it's just yeah. a, cause you need to convey that feeling of like movement a lot of the time. And so if the, the footsteps yeah. are too quiet, even if that might be more accurately reflecting real life, you from a, from like a viewing playing experience it just feels like the person is not moving properly because you can't hear them as well yeah and uh like so a really good example is uh silences in video games <laughs> uh a lot of games you put on a silencer it's like oh where'd the bullets go whereas <laughs> in in real life you put a silencer on a gun and it sounds like gun sound in video games yeah uh, guns without silences are just fucking loud. Yeah, and they just blow out microphones. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like no one's if if you put out like you know if they had accurate gun sounds in all video games, everyone would have you know the worst tinnitus in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So do you have is the so do you have any examples of like specific games or instances that you really enjoy the sound design in and the way stuff's been done and you hear a thing you go wow that was actually really well done uh yes uh breath of the wild right does it exceptionally well um all of the there's so many small tiny touches that are almost entirely insignificant but when you when you put them into the context of the game, everything just feels really natural and it feels like it suits the aesthetic of the game really well. Yeah. And just for anyone out there who has no idea what Breath of the Wild is, if you have any kind of understanding of Nintendo games, Breath of the Wild is the most recent Zelda game. So, and if you don't know what that means, then I probably can't help you. Just, just, just type in type in yeah. Zelda into Google, and it, it's it's the boy, the it's the one in the green. Yeah, that, that one's Zelda. Yep. And make sure you tell that to everybody who says ever mentions Zelda in your life. Just be like, oh yeah, the guy in green, and they will be very happy that you yeah. recognize him and will act appropriately. Yeah. There's lots of fake games that say that Zelda is the girl. It's not. Why would yeah. it be called Zelda? If it's, if yeah, it's exactly. That that makes Zelda's zero sense. Obviously, Zelda is going to be the character who you play and is on the box. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I haven't even played Breath of the Wild because I have yet to be able to afford a Switch. But one day, and I'll know what you're talking about. It's it's really good. It's 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 one of the games where I turned it on and I 
was listening to it in like the very opening area and i just kept on walking around and being like oh my god this is fantastic and on the opposite end, are there any examples that you know that you like did something or played something and you were just like, wow, the sound in this game is fucking bad. Oh, there's, there's too many to mention. <laughs> so, there's... So, so, so many, especially a lot of uh, less than AAA shooters hmm. um, really don't understand the concept of limiting sound to what the player needs to hear. And so uh, they'll just have sounds happening all over the place. None of them mean anything. None of them matter. Uh, you'll be very confused. So what are your, like, if you had to be saying, like, what are some of your favorite aspects of the sound design, whether it's on the music side of things, whether it's on games, whether it's, like, anywhere, just, like, what are the parts that you really enjoy the most, like, doing in regards to sound design and making noise? Um, I think probably uh, tricks. Uh, tricking people is is really fun. So, what kind of tricks are we talking? Um, so, uh, one example that I, I think is very important uh, is 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 reverb. Yep. Um, so, yep. you can, uh, for example, have uh, like any Whoa. old uh, any old audio file. Yeah. And and then suddenly, uh, someone's speaking right into a microphone. But then you want them to be all the way across the room, and so all you need to do is just turn up the reverb, and it puts them all the way across the room. My God, you really—you weren't kidding. You really are in like a thirty feet wide friggin' studio. I can barely. Come back to the microphone, for the love of God, it's so far. Hey, did you miss one? You actually managed to run that distance pretty quickly, and you don't even sound exhausted. That's amazing. I'm incredibly in shape. Don't Clearly. listen to what any of my friends will tell you. Yeah. <laughs> They're just jealous. Um, but <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but uh, some of the other things that I, that I really enjoy are uh, sound effects and uh, foley specifically, which is the, the, like the sound effects that you hear in, in movies and, and games and film and stuff. Yeah. Because um, you, can, you can do some amazing tricks. Uh, have you ever heard someone's bone get broken in a movie? I have. Uh, no, you haven't. What you've heard is someone punching a celery. Oh, no. I was actually talking about the, the snuff movie I watched. Oh, <laughs> we don't speak about that on the podcast. <laughs> All right, yeah, I probably should have. Oh, yeah, don't worry, I'll cut this part out. No one will ever know. <laughs> but yeah, so it was it, what? Shame. So is punching celery like what the one of the most standard ways yeah. of doing a broken bone? Yeah. So um. Yeah. So like the the sound of a celery being like snapped is uh, it it doesn't sound like what a bone breaking sounds like. Hmm. But it sounds like what you think a bone breaking sounds like. Yeah, and I guess it's it's it. And I guess no one no one immediately recognizes the the sound of celery snapping. Whereas you know, if you think, oh, okay, I'll break a stick or something, or like you know, I'll break a branch to try emulate a bone breaking. I think everyone is reasonably attuned to what a breaking branch sounds like and knows that that's not what they imagine a bone breaking sounds like because they'll go that sounds like wood 
Yeah, and it's 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 really interesting, especially in some of the uh, so like you know the sound of uh, crackling fire. Yep. Uh, have you ever uh, made rice bubbles? Yes, I have. This sounds basically exactly the same as a crackling fire does, in much <laughs> the same way that uh, if if you cook bacon. Yeah. Uh, on a on a on a frying pan, it sounds just like fire. Uh, either of those are, are pretty decent stand-ins for for crackling firewood. Right. Uh, and until you're actually looking at the source sound versus uh, looking at at what the sound is pretending to be, you can't tell in a lot of these situations that these things are are interchangeable. And it's really interesting every time it happens. And also, like especially if you consider something like bone breaking most people actually the main time they like they think they've heard bones breaking are on tv shows and movies not that many people have actually heard bones breaking in that way so yeah it's just like as long as it sounds like yeah what they think it will sound like it's good yeah and and there's there's a lot of stuff um so there's there's three levels of uh realism in sound in films mm. and my favorite one is hyper realistic yeah uh where basically you make things seem like what people feel like they should sound like instead mm. of what they actually sound like mm. and that's when you get real uh so uh, you know those scenes in like hot fuzz uh where he's he's getting in the car and like there's like close-up oh, yeah. shots of him putting on his seatbelt. yeah it has all like the the you know cross-cutting of like doing paperwork sitting down like pouring a coffee yeah yeah all of that's like really good examples of like hyper realistic sound in film where it just it feels so much more intense than it actually is i guess the process i'd say like a good example of that is probably punching in movies. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, punching always makes sound, like, uh, fairly notable sounds in movies, whereas, you know, if if you see someone get punched in real life, it really is not a loud thing. It's like a very dull, yeah. almost quiet thud slapping sound that does not sound as cinematic. Yeah. It's like, it's like if I go like this... Doesn't yeah. sound cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was very you know that that could have been that could have been anything. Yeah, and it's just like like it's not as cool. But if you want it to feel cool, and if you want the the viewer to feel it as much as as much as you want them to feel it, you've got to fake it. You've got to lie to them. You've got to mm. trick them into thinking that everything is intense, as opposed yeah. to everything just just being because people. It is. I guess people don't actually want to hear reality <laughs> when it comes oh, down to yeah, it. Yeah, no, definitely. That's yeah, why auditory exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like people don't want to hear how they really sing because most of them is badly. But now autotune's there, and they are great. Yeah. <laughs> what is yeah, your now, okay? Now if was as like a as like a sound person, what is your what is your stance on like the use of autotune in music? I think. Uh, so it's kind of weird. The best way to use auto-tune as a fit, like, say, for example, the way that the T-Pain uses auto-tune, hmm. um, he's a really good singer. He's yeah. an incredibly good singer. The, the way that you can get auto-tune to give you that auto-tune effect is by 
perfectly hitting the wrong note. Right. There's there's a few there's a few notes that will give you the like it, it will snap you to the right one. Hmm. If you hit the wrong one, it'll 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 constantly flip you between the two adjacent notes. Hmm. And so and so if you want to get that effect, you need to be really good at hitting at singing the wrong thing. Yeah. Which as, as soon as you realize that, you're just like, oh shit. Pain's really good. <laughs> it's it's kind of like that that same thing when it comes to actors, where they always say like it's really hard to do as an actor to act like you're acting badly. Yeah, yeah. It's like like once you realize what goes into it, and yeah, like unlearning like, all of the stuff that you've done for yeah. years. It's like the difference between yeah someone yeah you know, someone who is genuinely a bad actor and someone playing a character who is a bad actor. It is apparently a very difficult thing to nail down. So it is done well. Uh, yeah, I guess like, yeah. and it's actually difficult to, more difficult than you would think to purposely sing poorly in the right way. Yeah. But I mean, like in general, I don't really mind um, about auto-tune as a tool in people's arsenal because mm. it's one of those things where has so much potential to lead to more interesting creative art yeah. for more people that uh, it's it's worth more than taking it away for the purposes of yeah. saying, oh, well, this person can't sing perfectly, so we aren't going to let them sing. So are you more of the attitude of, like, there's no, there's no such thing as, like, bad tools, it's only people using said tools badly? I, I wouldn't even go that far. I would just say that, um, like, if if you have a problem with more people being able to create things at a higher level, then who is it that you're trying to protect art from? Yeah, no, I know. I guess that's the yeah, a lot of the thing. It's that. I guess the weird. It's like I, a weird like, gatekeeping attitude that certain people have. Where they're like, no, you can't. Like, you can't make music in that way. And it's like, why yeah, not? Like, like so, so. As as someone who has been a computer musician for probably about the last like like ten years or so, um, everyone always tries to say, oh that oh that yeah that's not really making music though. Like if you're not using a guitar, it's not music. If you're not using a studio, it's not real music. But letting more people have more access to more tools yeah. that are cheaper and easier to use and and lead to directly the, the creation of more art. Seems like it can only be a good thing, and I you, don't see a problem with it at all. I also suspect a lot of those people who claim that you could probably find something they listen to, which has been made, you know, digitally without them even realizing. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're all just like, "Oh, I've spent three hundred thousand dollars on a studio, and now you're making something that's better than me in a thing that cost twenty dollars." Yeah. Because like a lot of things, you can like you can listen to a lot of like music these days and you're like oh man i can't believe they got like you know and a proper like string band in there or you know a proper horn section and a lot of that stuff's like actually that is a fake horn section <laughs> yeah that cost six hundred dollars yeah. surprise <laughs> <laughs> which like i think is really cool because i know so many people who are uh, uh, composers like actual composers mm. who don't have the money to pay 60 people to record something for six hours in a big studio and then get it all mixed and mastered hmm. professionally yeah. to put into their album. Like, like sometimes you can't do that and that's hmm. fine. You use what you've got and if you're good at it and if you are willing to put in time and effort, 
then it shows. Yeah, you like, can you, you can you can with a lot of very cheap stuff mm. do the musical equivalent of polishing a turd. Exactly. So it's perfect. Oh, so so are there any are there any things you want to do that you haven't been able to do yet, or any things you've been trying to figure out how to do and haven't quite nailed? Uh, finish a project. Oh, okay. That's so you know a really basic. <laughs> so I was like, just complete something, anything, really. Yeah, I, I I have a really bad problem of starting a lot of things that are really cool, right. but either losing effort or losing ideas and not actually getting around to finishing it. So what's the and most recent? Know, what would be the most recent one you've started and probably won't end up finishing? Uh. Hmm. There's there's quite a few. Uh, I think uh, one of one of the ones that I've just started and I hopefully am going to finish is um it's a it's an art project with uh, a couple of uh, visual artists that I know, hmm. um and we basically want to uh, create art for and then music for uh, the feeling that you get when you're lying awake at like three a.m. and you can't get to sleep and you're trying that. to get to sleep. I could have used that approximately 13, 14 hours ago. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's a feeling that everyone knows, but you don't often see things articulating it well. Mm. And so I really want to kind of dial into that feeling and, and express it well and then have like a couple of cool art friends do yeah. some cool pictures for it. Yeah. It's like, how do you, how do you like, Audio or audio, audio lead. Like, well, that's that's I don't. That probably is not the wrong word. Anyway, how do you uh, make? How do you convey the sound of like your thoughts, like ten thousand thoughts circling around in your mind at the same time, with it were by not just making you know a cacophony of noise. What's what's a what's a different way <laughs> uh, of getting that feeling across? I'm, I will admit, I'm not entirely ruling out the cacophony of noise thing. Because <laughs> um, I mean. That's obviously the most literal way of doing it. Like the most obvious is like, yeah, let's get, just get a bunch of voices saying a lot of dumb stuff because that's exactly what's going on in my head at three in the morning. That is, you've, you may or may not have given me a good idea for another song. But, <laughs> I want uh, like no, I want uh, royalties. So I'll see what I can do. <laughs> you, you, you haven't copyrighted this podcast, have you? I have now. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so like basically the idea is like, so... You know how you don't think everything at once? You think a string of things. You think one thing that leads yeah. you to think another thing to think another thing. I'm basically splitting that up into uh, different vibes that you get, mm. which is the technical term I assure you is vibes. I'm yeah. not just making that up. It's, it's the vibe. It's Marbo, etc. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so... So basically, like, there's that period where you're kind of sad, and then there's that period where you get kind of angry, and there's just that period where you get kind of uh, everything's happening at once, and it gets a little bit wild, and then there's that period where you just kind of give up, and <laughs> you, you you like regretfully let sleep happen. Or that po- or that period where you suddenly have an idea where you're like, "This is the greatest idea ever. I'm going to write that down in the morning," and then you never remember what yeah. it is. Why, why have I got got written on this piece of paper? Toad piss. Why? <laughs> what did that mean? Sandwich fire. What does that mean? Although, <laughs> you could probably make a good toasted sandwich in a sandwich fire. 
now that you mention it. <laughs> All right. Oh. It's the new, it's the new yeah. like sandwich grill is just a barrel of fire. <laughs> Takes flame grill to a whole new level. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so it's basically uh, a, a whole big process of just sitting down and trying to figure out what a feeling sounds like. And then distilling that down to the the basic elements, and then trying to put that together while also making it interesting to listen to. Yeah. And do you, do you have any like anything that you consider one of your best examples of when you were trying to, you know, pinpoint a certain sound or get a certain vibe across with sound that, that you really sort of achieved exactly what you were imagining in your mind? Yes, there was. So one of one of the projects that I have that is lost to time. Uh, is <laughs> I was uh, I had a concept for an EP where I had uh, an alien that was stranded on planet Earth, and the only way that they could contact their home planet was to broadcast sound waves out in the direction and hope that they got picked up. Mm. Um, and what I did was I took a picture of the the star where they wanted to get back to, and I converted that into uh, a spectral image. Uh, so like if you play it in like as a sound file and then you record the frequencies, it actually turns into a picture of where the star is from earth. Nice. And then, <laughs> and then I, I layered that in, into a, uh, a, a coded message. Uh, there was a musical message that basically just said uh, like, help come and find me. Hmm. And it sounded really cool. And it was played on like, uh, uh, there's a, is a an instrument called a hang drum. Uh, right. It basically just looks like it looks like a UFO, and it has a bunch of like like dents in it, mm. and you can you can slap it in different places, and it makes different sounds. And so I played it on that, and then it it was really cool. It was it it turned out like it was really nice to listen to as well. That's pretty good. Uh, that was that was probably the coolest thing that I ever made, and I never ended up finishing any of the other songs. Hooray! Project so. I, but it, it's a it's a diamond in the rough. Because yeah, is that is that the kind of thing where you're like, hey, like, it's just kind of like starts off as a weird idea. You're like, I wonder if this will work. Let's give it a shot. Yeah, I I, I spent like probably two or three days researching uh, the right context for having it happen, and then I got like one and a half songs done for it, and then I. I just lost interest and said no one's going to like this this see you're exactly it's like a like a smaller version of sufjan stevens when he went i'm gonna make an album about every american state and then he made two and then he immediately realized that was a terrible claim to make what was i thinking (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like yeah i i'll put some more maybe just some maybe 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 just two yeah i'm gonna make a make a, a sound thing for every star in the universe I have suddenly realized how bold a claim that was. <laughs> that was too many. I thought there was only seven stars in the universe. The planetarium here is terrible. <laughs> Turns out that was just the theater light. Yeah, that was, yeah, the light bulbs. My bad. Oh, well, another day. Oh, well, that's... And you, you, you could, in theory, make uh, an album for each different country in Australia because I'm each different state in Australia. You could. That's a more reasonable, yeah. That's a more reasonable claim. I, I, and for something like Northern Territory, all you'd have to do is do a Keith Bloody Wilson covers album. It would be very easy. <laughs> you, 
you can literally just outsource that and just be like, look, I, I just traveled around like Northern Territory for like a week and I just got a bunch of different people, people's music and said, you know what, this is this is, this is good enough. This is the representation yeah. you're going to get. You could just go around, drive around the country and record like different cover bands versions of the same, like different pub bands versions of the same songs. Uh, so s- seven different cover albums of ACDC from each of the best states ACDC cover yeah. band. And also, for some reason, everyone's still playing Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. <laughs> That's all it is. It's Thunderstruck and Kryptonite. That's the only songs anyone was playing. <laughs> It's it's the beginning and end of cover band. <laughs> yeah, that's the only two songs and, any and, cover band needs. Yeah, I'll... good. <laughs> uh, well, I, that's like on that note, on that genius idea, we should probably start loading up a truck to travel around Australia with recording equipment to yeah yeah get, all, I, get I, this I've done. I've got to go and register about five different business ideas <laughs> yeah. after the podcast. So that's, all right, that's good. fantastic. Well, I better let you go start registering then before anyone snaps them up before you. <laughs> I'm watching you. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. It's actually. A, it's actually. I need to go because I want to try register them before you. It's a race to the to who gets them first at this point. <laughs> oh well. Oh, thank you very much for joining me. That was all a lot of neat stuff, and I feel like yeah, I feel like it was a good natural companion to last week's kind of to episode as well. So it was good. Yeah, that's. Gl- it was fun. I had, I had a great time. I'm glad we could finally make it happen, and also at a reasonable hour of the day. Yeah, yeah. Hey. I, if you ever want me to come back, I've I've got a million other topics hey. to talk about. So I'm always happy to have people come back. So maybe that'll happen. Anyways, and thank <laughs> you, thank you everybody out there for listening. Thanks for joining. We'll be back again next week. So until next time, please keep on caring. Mm-hmm.